Today in Proverbs 23 through 26, we look at our text, but I want to start with a story um, because I think that stories relate to our heart. Life is a story, amen? Each one of us has our own story. And when we submit our story to his story, his salvation plan for our life, we make his story or history. We make something more beautiful than we could ever make ourselves. And that's a play on words, but I read a story this week about um, an individual that decided that he wanted to mine diamonds, and he was just a simple farmer, but he had amassed the savings, and he decided that he was going to travel to Africa and search for caves of diamonds and, and make his millions. He didn't want to be a farmer like his family had been. It was passed down through generations. So he had money saved up, and so he sold his farm, and then he went off to uh, lower Africa and began to search for diamonds. And in his quest for diamonds, he bought caves and searched them for diamonds and as he spent his livelihood he slowly and began to be frustrated as he did not find the amazing fortune that he was looking for and slowly he spent out all of his savings and and he was broke more broke than he had ever been and and finally he decided that he was going to end it all and he took his own life in Africa and then Coming back to America, the, the story jumps back to that little farm that he had sold. And there were some people that were tilling the land. They ran into this big black rock, and they didn't really know what it was. And when they hit it with the farming equipment, it damaged the farming equipment, but it broke a piece off the side of the rock. And they realized as they were looking at it, the sun was gleaming off of it. And they began to, then they took the rock to somebody that could tell them what it was. And they said, you won't believe this, but that's a deposit of diamonds in your field. And he was like, what do you mean? So they went and they excavated the field and they found that in the field, in that farm, was one of the largest deposits in North America of true, beautiful diamonds. That they had somehow made their way into that area and that they had had tremendous pressure at one point that built those diamonds right in that area. So the man who sold everything out, moved all the way across the world to try to find his fortune, actually had his fortune right where he was living and he never found it. If you will dig a little bit deeper than where you have been right now, you may find out that there's treasure buried right where you are in your life. You have to know that whenever you go looking for something, your heart is desirous and your heart wants to see something that you are craving, but you have to realize that maybe maybe just digging a little bit deeper, maybe putting a shovel below the surface, maybe hitting, uh, hitting a website and going to college, maybe, maybe just doing a little bit more than you've done before, maybe applying some passion to your personal life would, would build into you the things that you wish you had. And so... The story goes that the man who spent all to find his treasure actually had the greatest treasure he was looking for in his own backyard. And sometimes we can go searching for things, pack our bags and move across the country thinking we're finding something that has been lost. And really, had we looked carefully, we would have found it right where we were. Anybody know that experience? Anybody know someone that did that experience? So when we were singing, he is stronger. He is stronger today coming from a background where I shouldn't have got out, coming from a place where I shouldn't have made it out. I want you to know that God used every up and every down in my life. He took 
the places that I thought were the worst experiences of my life. And he took that abuse and made it good for my use. And I was able to reach to people that would never even understand or recognize that I was trying to help them if I didn't know where they were coming from. You see, the heartbeat of man is the indicator of life. The ups and the downs of the beat of the heart means that you may have down times, but you'll also have times when you're up. And both of them are indicators of life. Both of them are indicators of things that God wants to do in your life. And so Proverbs 23 and 26, it says this, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. There's a couple of scriptures before that that I wanted to read. If you could back up just a little bit, media team. I wanted to read to you the previous scriptures where it's talking about um, let me just get there real quick. I have my Bible here instead of digital, so I apologize for that. I should have probably put that into something I could read straight out. But today is a very interesting study of where God's taking us. And I'm going to share with you nuts and bolts. This is a different sermon than normal just because of the fact that I'm not just preaching to preach. I'm actually talking about where we're going. Verse 23, if you could back up media team to that. It says this, it says, By the truth... And sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. That would seem like all the same thing. But wisdom, instruction, and understanding are not necessarily the same thing. As, as is wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Wisdom is knowing what to do. Knowledge is knowing how to do it. There's a huge difference. You can know what to do. I can look at a car that's broken and tell you that the axle is broken or that, that a hose is off or, or that the starter's not working, but I, I don't know how to repair that. I have the wisdom to know what the thing is that's broken, but I don't have the knowledge to fix it. You see what I'm saying? Of course, Google can help you with that. But that's the difference. It says, buy the truth and never sell it, no matter whether it's profitable, no matter whether people like the truth or not, truth is still truth. Amen. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. The parents of a wise child have joy in that child. The father of, and thy mother shall be glad, and she, she that bear thee shall rejoice. And then it says this, my son, give thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Give me thine heart. In other words, give me all your ups and your downs. Give me all of your tragedies and all your triumphs. Is that okay? Do you understand what I mean by that? And so when we're working on the church, we have to realize that there's going to be moments where we feel high and there's going to be moments where we feel low. There's going to be moments where pastor preaches really good. There's going to be moments where pastor didn't preach so good. There's going to be moments when the worship team does great, which they do all the time. And there's going to be moments when the sound system cuts out. And there's going to be moments when we feel like we want better. And then there's going to be moments when we're like, I don't know how it could get any better. And that is the true up and down nature of the life of a church. And as we're growing a church, I promise you this. Now we're talking about us here and there's more people to come, but Whenever we began to launch LifeSpring, I promised my wife I would never let this church take my marriage because you can get so pushed and so pressured that you can literally have something good be destroyed by doing something good. 
You can be efforting to do something good and be destroying something else that's good in your life. You can be traveling to Africa to get diamonds and be destroying some, something that's at home. You see what I'm saying? So instead of launching out and saying, hey, we need to go do this and we need to go do that with this church. In other words, what we need to do is just stick another shovel in the ground and dig a little deeper and say, hey, I'm not too tired. I'm not too worn out. I'm not, I'm not too, uh, too frustrated. I can still do this. I can move on. I can see God do great things. There's power in his blood. There's power in his spirit. And God can do a great work. Amen? But in that, we have to be smart. And in being smart, we have to partner with people that know how to build things that we don't know how to build. And so we have organized ourselves and we have partnered with a friend of mine named Aaron Courtney, who's running something known as Project Equalize. And Project Equalize is a company, a nonprofit organization that takes churches our size and teaches them how to reach a greater have greater impact and reach greater into their community. And here's the thing. What they do is they help you to enhance not only your structure, but enhance all of your digital and video assets that you would deploy into media and different places where you're, you're, you're letting people know who you are. And here's a little bit of an in introduction from Aaron himself in this video that we're going to watch right now. Aaron Courtney here with a debut video from Project Equalize. I'm the president and CEO of Project Equalize, a Wisconsin-based nonprofit corporation that serves to advance religion by ending the broad-based disparity between secular and religious productions through hands-on instruction, motivational speaking, and supplementary funding. Okay, now that's quite a mouthful, and it's probably worse than the recent Twitter mission statement gap that created a world of, of internet buzz. Anyway, look, quite simply, we're just trying to get churches to embrace the promotional possibilities created by a digital economy. Possibilities like technology that enables me to sit here in my kitchen and create a globally reaching online presence from absolutely nothing more than an idea. These are powerful capabilities that not long ago were not even imaginable. All of us at Project Equalize are super excited to share this journey with everybody because we don't think anyone has ever done anything like this before. God bless. So they teach churches how to leverage digital and social media to do a better job of reaching. So that will be a component of our growth strategy this year. We're going to be wholehearted, amen? We're going to give God our up, and we're going to give God our down. And we're going to be consistent, and we're going to be faithful, and we're going to do everything we can to see revival come to this church. Because God doesn't waste things. His economy has no waste in it. Do you understand what I mean by that? In other words, he won't invest in a place that he considers wasteful. And because he opened the door for us to have this beautiful facility and all of this room for only $1,500 a month, I guarantee you he has plans to fill it. I guarantee it. And you have to understand that when God begins to move on something, there's key components to God's nature that you can understand. You can understand how God moves. And number one is he looks for someone who's passionate. If you are passionate, God will move on your behalf. Passion precedes power from God. There's a little woman in the scriptures that had an issue of blood. For 12 years, she paid all of her money, tried to go to any doctor she could and get healed. And the Bible says that Jesus was passing by her one day, and she knew her opportunity was there, that she could touch the master's garment and she would be healed. You search the scriptures. There's no other time where Jesus ever passed by her again or that area.
He came through one time. There was one opportunity. And she made sure she was availing herself of that one opportunity. If we understand that passion can often bring us to places where God will only pass by one time in one opportunity or particular opportunities, we will not only align ourselves with people that know how to take us to the next level, but we will make sure we're passionate enough people that we will be there when the, when the opportunity walks by. When Jesus shows up, I want to be ready to meet him him in that opportunity. Amen, somebody. So we have to understand that I may be preaching about wholehearted, but I could have, I could have titled this anything. Probably buckle up, baby, because we're punching the gas. Probably would have been a better sermon title. Or it's time for the next level, or we're going where God wants us to go, or, or we're moving beyond where we've been, anything like that. But this is, this is revival upon us, and we must take advantage of it. And when you see this little woman in Scripture, she goes after the things, and it's not logical for what she did. Logic said you'll never get to Jesus because he was crushed by a crowd. There was no way for her to get to her. Logic said you don't have the money to pay the master when you get there. Because you don't come before a, a, a rabbi empty-handed. You don't come before a man who is, who is a man of status without bringing something in your hand to gift to them in their culture. So therefore, she did not have any money to give. And logically, she would have said, you're disqualified to go before Jesus because you have nothing to give him. You spent it all on your health. Amen, somebody. So, and I say amen, somebody, meaning that there's probably somebody that spent money on their health and didn't know where to go, but they met Jesus and Jesus healed their body. I know for a fact that God knows how to heal because the, the Bible says, David says, he's my healer, he's my deliverer, he's all these different things. But in, in the particular instance that I'm referring to, the woman with the issue of blood, she didn't have the right to be there. She wasn't supposed to be touching a rabbi. She was unclean. In other words, she was not supposed to touch him because in their culture, if she touched a rabbi, it made him unclean from her uncleanness. So logically, she should have said, I don't have money to do this to gift him. I, the crowd won't let me in. I can't get to him. And if I do get to him, I'm ruining his opportunity to minister for the rest of 24 hours. He has to go through cleansing ceremonies in order to be able to minister again to people. So she was ruining the whole party, okay? But she decided past all of the logic and past all of the understanding that she had, her passion pushed her to crawl through the crowd to get to Jesus. And so when Jesus says, you study your Bible just as I do, but when Jesus said, somebody touched me, and he said, I felt virtue flow out of me. That is the only place in scripture where the Greek word dunamis is not transferred into the English language as power. It's, transferred, it's translated into the English language as virtue. That's the only place where dunamis is ever transferred as virtue. In other words, he said, there's something virtuous that just happened in this moment. God was literally transferring uh, power to this woman to heal her body. In the same place in the book of Acts where it said, and they received power, dunamis, after the Holy Spirit came upon him. She had an amazing experience and received power from God all off of her passion for change in her life. It's amazing how change can, can, can move upon you and you can change things, but nothing changes until you change your routines. You will invest all kinds of money. You will spend all kinds of time at the gym and still come away weighing the same if you don't change your eating habits and change your routines, amen? 
I have a friend who does a lot of running, and he said there's been a guy in his neighborhood who runs around his neighborhood every morning. He said the guy hasn't lost a stitch of weight literally for 15 years. This guy has been running every morning, and he's still as big as he was when he first started running. And he said the reason why is because he talked to him one point, and the guy has changed nothing in his life. He simply runs around their oval of their subdivision because he wants to be healthy, but he never changed his diet. He never changed his eating habits. He never changed the way he did his routines. And so therefore, he's never lost any weight. I wonder if it's possible for us to do a lot of things in church and be busy doing church work and not really being doing and not really doing the work of the kingdom. Amen, somebody. And I promise you, the team here at LifeSpring, I'm so grateful for all of you that have come, and I'm so grateful for your mindset of being kingdom-minded. And we we don't do this for anybody but for Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for that, but we have to also know how we're doing it. We have to do it with wisdom. I have the wisdom to do it, but there's some areas where I'm lacking knowledge. I know what to do. I don't always know how to do it. And so we're bringing in Project Equalize to know how to do it. And we're stepping about 10 years ahead of ourselves. It's quite, a, it's quite an endeavor, I'll tell you that, because when I partnered with my friend Aaron Courtney this week, we, we had a dinner and we met and he's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's dream big. Let's go after it. It means outside contributions. It means that we won't have to develop all this ourselves. It means that people outside of the church will contribute and we will build this. Everything's going to go to a new level and that puts a stress on everybody. So you have to do it in a way that's wise. Someone say wise. And that is my job, to do it with wisdom. But this year we're going to have baptism campaigns. We're going to do the, a, a baptism campaign that I'm calling We Rise. Together, we're going to lift people up. We're going to lift them from where they've been to where God wants them to be. We're going to do altar work training with Daniel and Marilyn Gums, our friends. They're going to come in this fall and we're going to do a Kids Life Rally. And last time they were here, we had nine get the Holy Ghost. I think God is on it. Amen. I think God is able to do great things. And then we're going to take our worship and our praise and, and the way that we bless the Lord to a whole new level. And we're grateful for those that have joined us, and we're so glad to see new faces coming in that have talent that helps to, to lift up where we're going and strengthen and empower our experiences. We have to have a consistent worship experience every week. And you have to be here because when you're not here and a visitor walks in and they only see two of us here and we're coming late, I'm talking as a pastor. You need to be on time, amen? I was, in, uh, I was in Texas, and I drove just a little ways out of the town I was working in. This was about a month ago. And I drove into this place called Early, Texas. That's the name of it, Early, Texas. I don't know why I'm talking about Texas today and why I'm talking about packing and moving. But, you know, <laughs> I had a dinner with some friends, and they had somebody pack and move to Texas. I guess that's on my mind. Anyways, sorry that I got in my sermon, but what we have to do is we have to... We have to be here on time. And so I, I went into the edge of early Texas, and I looked to my right, and there's this church with a steeple, and right across the front of the church, it says, the early church. I turned around, I went back, and I took a picture of it, because I was like, I want our whole church to be early. And I didn't know it was early Texas at the time. I thought, I thought they had just named the whole church the early church. I'm like, well, that's a lot of pressure. 
Everybody's got to be there on time. And not, not just on time, but they got to be there early. And I was like, man, I'm going to put that on our website. The early church. Put a lot of pressure on everybody. But if we can get here on time, then we're here to minister to people when they do show up. So we have to be wholehearted in a few things in order for this to happen. We're going to have an open house this fall. And we're going to do a lot of video and digital push to get that stuff done. And we, we have to create certain things in order to be a presence in, in the media market of today. And that's just the facts. That's not, that's not that we won't do the, the things that God tells us to do in Scripture. It's just that we have to do the other things that apply to our world today. Um, there's there's a, lot of, a lot of things I could say about that, and I'm not going to. But if you have those cards in your hand, this is what we're going to focus on this year. We're going to focus on being wholehearted in our marriages and in our homes. Thank you, brother. And in the churches. And in the church and for missions and for the community. We're going to be wholehearted in our marriages. Why? Because the Bible says that he said the solitary in families. The first institution ever created was the family. Everyone say family. And families are not strong if marriages are not strong. The marriage and relationship has to be strong in homes. And that's one thing that, that we see deteriorating so often in homes. But I can lose everything and still rebuild. But if I lose my family, I may never recover. And so family is important to me. And that's why we've moved only as fast as we've moved with LifeSpring. Because it was as much as my family could handle. And now we're bringing on people who can take us farther then we can go just on our own strength. Do you see what I'm saying? The Holy Ghost does the same for us. He takes us further than we can go on our own strength. So I really feel like God is using this. Not only that, but when I began to pray, God, where do you want to take us? God, how do I communicate this to the church? Take me to a place in Scripture. Take me to something that gives me words to communicate the next level. That not only did I pray that, but that afternoon I got a text message from Aaron Courtney, who is pro part of Project Equalize, and he said, I'm thinking about helping you guys out. Would you like to go to another level? I literally did not have to reach out to him. I'm being honest with you. I knew about it, but I didn't have to reach out to him. I just began to pray, and God brought it to me. That's what I'm saying, is whenever God wants to do something with his church, he will build his church. Amen? He will do it for you if you just stay submitted to his will for your life. And then in the area of marriage and family, I, I hear a lot of people say, well, I've got to protect my marriage. I've got to protect my marriage. People get mar new marriages all the time. They leave one and move to another. But the truth of the matter is you've got to protect your family and you've got to protect your relationships. I protect my relationship with my wife and with my kids. And I knew that this church could only grow as fast as, as we were able to handle it because there's pressure on the ministry families and I know there's pressure on your families external pressure in your work financial pressure those different pressures but you can't look at it as just the marriage it's got to be the relationships within the home with the marriage and so therefore we have to focus on the family amen so God is not only needing to be in our, our relationships and our marriage we need to be wholehearted about that we need to produce everything we can to support a marriage and then in relationships in the marriage, but then also strong marriages produce strong homes. And strong homes produce strong churches. And strong churches are missional. They go after what God wants them to go after. They fulfill 
Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and make disciples. They fulfill that. And we can't do that without strong marriages, strong homes, and strong church. So we, be, we begin to look at going to the thing where we put our whole heart into missions. And then if we have the mission that God wants us to do, and if we're reaching, mission, reading, reaching out to other things beyond these four walls and not just focused on ourselves, then we automatically reach into our community. This is, the, this is the schedule. This is the way that God does it. He gives Adam a wife and says it's a helpmeet. Then he produces a home because they have children. And then he ordains his church with the children of Israel and sets it in the center of the camp, saying, I want this to be the heart of your life. Church is not something you sprinkle over top of your life. Jesus in a relationship with him is not seasoning for your life. It is the, supposed to be the center of your life. And the reason why that's important is because everything in your life flows from inside out. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, if you get elevated to a place that you cannot sustain in your own life, if it's not something that comes from the inside out, you can get promoted to a place your character can't keep you. It's possible that we have so often in churches pushed mission and pushed community endeavors and we haven't had the heart to be the heart to sustain those missions and those community endeavors and what we end up doing is busying ourselves so much that we leave behind the purpose of what God calls this church to do that is a real issue that is a real problem and that is something we are not going to do here we're not going to get so busy doing church work that we leave behind the most important things and that is taking moments to talk with one another how's your dad how's your family can I pray for you? Can I seek God's face for you? Can, I, can we come together? Come over to my house for a barbecue. Let's hang out. Let's have Brother Jens make us some ribs. Hello, somebody. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now I'm preaching. <laughs> Let's go to the Coxes for a Packer game. So, and I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about the things that are most important. Because we are losing fellowship because of these devices. You know that. You sit together with a family and you're all staring at your phones. It's interesting that we have made virtual relationships more important than natural relationships. And they're finding out, as I talked last week, that whenever you get attached to something, it hardwires your brain to go there when you have stress. I talked a little bit about financial stress, physical stress, relational stress, social stress, and they found out that those things that release dopamine in your system, and they talked about different addictions, obviously, but they said that there are, there are little moments in relationships where, where you're just sitting there, not on your phone, and conversation comes up, and it builds a relationship so much deeper. It builds relationships to know the lows and the highs of their life. See, we're so busy just sharing all of the, in fact, all the highs. We're in a filter society. Everything's filtered. We spend time on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. You go wherever you go. And guess what? Everything is on a high. Look at how great it is. And so we get so good at saying, you know, to other people, they ask you how you're doing. You're like, I'm doing amazing. <laughs> just amazing. And really inside you're depressed. Because we're so used to putting filters on everything. 
And so what we're hap what's happening is everybody's looking at this going, that's how my life should be. I should be driving a Bentley. I should be all up in this crib. I should have all this stuff. And because stuff really makes you happy, right? Yeah, that doesn't work because what we have to find out is life doesn't just happen here. Life happens here too in the struggle, in the hurts, in the pains, in the stress. And what they're finding out is when these devices release dopamine because you, you get bored and you send out 20 texts like I talked about last week. And you go, hi, 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 to 30 people and hope someone hits you back. And when someone hits you back, you get that burst of dopamine from the brain and you go, oh, I feel better. I'm not so lonely. This device and the social media that we have, they're finding out is addictive, just as addictive as a drug. Just as addictive as pornography or gambling or, or some of those other things that they found out. And there's no age limit on this. And what we're doing is we're teaching people that you've got to have this. That when you come to church, it's always got to be this. And when you've got to live your life and go on a job, it's always got to be this. And we're not teaching them that this is a natural part of life. The low points, the times when you feel down. But instead, what we're doing is when we feel down, we go to social media to get a dopamine hit. Or we go, unfortunately for some people, they said, if they find alcohol, or if they find pornography, or if they find drugs when they're a teenager, it hardwires their brain that when they have stress in the family, or stress in life, or stress in their finances, they go running back to the place their brain has been hardwired to get a dopamine hit to make them feel better. It's chemistry, brothers and sisters. And so what's happening is people are running to the things that addict them when they get down here instead of running to relationships, which is the place you're supposed to go. And teenagers, teenagers will tell you, they're admitting it themselves, all of their relationships are shallow. They, all of their friends, they have fun with their friends. I talked to somebody about this last week. They have fun with their friends. But they know their friends will ditch them as soon as they find something better to do that day. And nobody is committed to anything. So when you're pushing digital media from a church, you literally get people that will visit that decided to come visit you that afternoon and went on their phone and searched what's to do in the area. And they find out, oh, a church is playing, God's not dead. I'll go to that. Literally had someone sitting in this church because they searched for us. If you think that partnering with Project Equalize will not bring people to this church, I want to tell you you're wrong. Because people are so addicted to that source that they literally go there for everything. And we can be the people that reach to them. Amen? And we can teach them that, hey, yeah, I know people drop you off whenever they find something higher. I know people will walk away whenever they find something better. And that's why relationships aren't staying together. And that's why people don't have value in being here on a Sunday. Because all of their relationships are so shallow, they invest that into their relationship with God and they think that having a shallow relationship with God is the best it's going to get. Worst case scenario, we're seeing people depressed. We're seeing people, young people on drugs. We're seeing all kinds of things happen. People running to marijuana. Now they're legalizing it so people can go do it legally. <laughs> They did that in my home state, Alaska, and my brother moved out. <laughs> He's like, forget it. No, kidding. But all of these people that are down here, they don't know how to do it. They don't know what to do with life because they haven't built relationships strong enough to hold them over that stress. The stress is real. It's going to come. But you have to know that you're not going to have job satisfaction. You're not going to have love, true love. Marriages are falling apart because people don't realize that it's work. 
when the honeymoon phase is over, it's work. When you're done with their filters, you find out they have a little bit of crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. There's a little bit of crazy down in there. And hopefully you're crazy and they're crazy kind of match and you guys can have a good time in life. But maybe, just maybe, you're sitting next to somebody who's been had a filter all their life and, and, and you don't know what it is till you marry them and all of a sudden, Dr. Jekyll turns into Mr. Hyde. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, wow, what did I, I wouldn't have ever married something like this or I would have never stayed with this. And they're looking at you going, I would have never married this. I would have never stayed with this. And yet, in that low moment, you realize that if you can trust God through that, he can build you stronger. My wife and I are absolute opposites. We drive each other batty. I mean, crazy. There's sometimes I go sit in my car just so we can get together <laughs> and get along. I'll go sit in my car and I'll pray. I'm like, Jesus, I know that's her strength and that's my weakness. But we stood in that office today before this service. And she took me by the hands. She said, I'm going to pray for this sermon. I'm going to pray for this. And we've had enough grace and enough mercy from God to live through the hard moments where I wanted to walk away, where she wanted to walk away. It's normal, brothers and sisters, to have places where you feel like giving up in a relationship. It's normal to have times when you feel like giving up on your walk with God because it gets difficult and stressful. But he will not let you go because this is not a story. When we get wholehearted, it's not truly a story of us finding God or chasing down God, but it's really a story of him chasing down us. Amen, somebody. He came for us. He died for us and made it possible. And so the low moments are places that you grow deeper in God just as much as the high moments are places that you get clarity from God. In those low moments, it's confusing. It's, it can be difficult. But if you run to him instead of from him, Brother Jesse, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you run to him in the low moments, he'll build strength so that the high moments are even greater. This week, I'm so privileged. I, I work a job that takes me places, and my plane's warming up right now. Too bad it's not going to a place warm. But I'm going to get to stand on the top of mountains in Colorado. I'm going to get to snowboard this week because I'm a big snowboarder having grown up in Alaska. And my body won't let me do what I used to do, but I get to stand on top of a mountain, and I get to feel the clarity of looking out over top of God's beautiful creation. That is what it's like when you trust God through the low moments. He'll take you through difficult times, stressful times, things that, that builds your character in places you could not even know you could build it. You know what they say about Christians? Christians are like a, tooth, a tube of toothpaste. You have to squeeze them to find out what's inside. That's what it's like for us. We don't even know it. We're, we're, we're needing pressure for the beautiful things in our life to be built. And there may be some pressure in your own backyard. There may be some places where God's pushing on you and where God's trying to mentor you. And if you just keep a whole heart toward God, you will find out that there is diamonds near you. There's diamonds in the place where you live. There's beautiful things right here. So... I'm finishing with this. God parked me in Psalms as I was praying over this. And he, in Psalms 36, 
don't check out for me. Just give me five more minutes and I'm done. It says this, for in verse 9 of 36 of Psalms, if you throw that up there for me, for with thee is the fountain of life. Everyone say life spring. For with thee is the life spring. In thy light shall we see light. David's talking to God here. He's saying, you're my source of life. You're the living water to me. And you're the light that shows me light. He said, Oh, continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the, un to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. In other words, he's saying, God is able to keep someone from putting their foot on your neck and holding you down. And God is able to keep you, someone from moving you from where he's put you with their hand. Their devices will not work because God is on your side. Let not the foot of the pride. In other words, he said, don't let it happen, Lord, because you're able to control this. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. He said, there is a place where you see the workers of iniquity fall. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. That last word right there is important. Because he said, those that, that sin and live a life of iniquity, they will fall and not be able to get up. Which implies that those that live a righteous life, when they fall, they can get up. The opposite is true. And you have to see that in scripture. It implies that those that are right can get up. And so we have to help people find a place where they can rise. And then in verse and then chapter 37 of Psalms, God also put me here when I was trying to communicate being wholehearted for God. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. It's just like sitting down and ordering a meal. Look through the menu. God says, I know what's best for you. I'm going to order this for you. And he orders our steps. We make plans, but God makes purpose happen anyways. And he delighted in his ways. In other words, remember that first scripture where I said that parents delight in the wise child? Look at what God does. He orders your steps. And then when he watches you walking those steps out in life, he delights in it. You can live life for God as a duty, just doing the what you have to do to try to get to heaven, get your, your one-way ticket to glory. You can even try to live for God, and there's a lot of people that do with another D, which is drudgery. It can become a drudgery to you to live for God. Or you can let living for God be a delight to you because He's delighted when you walk with Him with your whole heart. And then it says, Though He fall, He shall not utterly be cast down. Have you ever fallen before? Have you ever tripped and fell? Have you ever really messed it up? Busted your nose? I mean, figuratively here. You know, like, you really made a mistake. And the Bible says that even when we fall, we will not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. What does that mean to you to have God hold you in his hand? I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Watch this nor his seed begging bread. When you live a righteous life, your posterity is blessed. Your future will not beg for bread. Your kids, your grandkids will not beg for bread if you live a righteous life.
That's what that's saying. I've watched David said, the righteous live and not have to beg for food. And I've watched their children not have to either. What kind of blessing would you praise God for if you knew your blessing meant it was blessing your grandchildren? What would it mean if you lived wholeheartedly for God, knowing that your wholehearted life, live for Jesus Christ, actually blesses every future generation? Thank you so much for the two of you that were excited about that. <laughs> the rest of you are like, I've checked out. Let's go watch the Packer game. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not the saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous, verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Now watch this verse. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. Last verse. The law of God is in his where? heart none of his steps shall slide I used to run mountain marathons when I was younger I know you can't tell looking right now but I'm a blessed man got a whole lot of good food in me 42 years worth already but when I was younger I first met my wife in Bible college and she she touched my leg and it was like touching a rock she's like is that you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, that happened. Because I used to run mountain marathons and you just run until you're just all rock, you know. And while you're running, we'd have to run along the cliffs, the edges of cliffs. And the, the running space would be about a foot. And you're not running at that point. You're just making sure your foot doesn't slide, right? But that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you put God's law or his word in your heart, you can go to treacherous places in life and still feel secure. You can go to difficult places and still know that you have peace in God because your foot's not going to slip. He's going to keep you. What does it mean to have God keep your life? What does it mean to be blessed? I want you to know that living for God is the best thing I ever did. No, I, I haven't seen all the things some people do. I, I didn't do the party life like some people do, but I want you to know that that just spared me from damage. That's all it did. Just kept me. If you go back and you read in Psalms, it talks about that those that do certain things that our world says is the fun life. It says it brings woe and it brings pain and it brings red eyes and it brings all these different things and it, it ends up in destruction because the paycheck for sin is death. And when you sin, something always dies. But I want to encourage you today that Jesus came on that cross right there. Not that one actually, but you know, one like it. Came and died. And because of that, we not only can live wholeheartedly, but we can actually watch God change somebody's heart. I stood at a place this week where I didn't think I'd ever stand, surrounded by people that don't know anything about God. And I just stood there and went, I wonder what, I wonder if this is like what Jesus did when he was with Mark and the tax collectors and the people that, and all of his friends that like to drink and all of, all this other stuff. And I'm just standing there going, Jesus, you can change the heart of anybody. And I watched as all of the crew, all of the people that were there kind of moved away from all the drunk people 
and moved over by me and we started talking about life issues. And I'm standing in a place I never thought I would be, ministering to people I never thought I would minister to. And it's all because I didn't stop here and go to a bottle. And I didn't stop here and smoke some drugs. And I didn't stop here and get caught up in porn. And I didn't stop here and get caught up in something addictive. But I let this teach me and guide me through my relationship with God as I gave him my whole heart. And now I know what it's like to be here. And a life well lived is a life of ups and downs, brothers and sisters. I hope I made sense to you that we're going to do this in the places where it's tough and we're going to do this in the places where it's triumph. Do you understand what I mean? That There's going to be some Sundays where you don't want to get out of bed and come here. But you're going to get up and come anyways, right? Because you're going to know that the low points are just as important as the high points in order to live a wholehearted life for God. Would you stand with me today? Jesus, I don't know if I've communicated this in a well enough way to let it sink, but I pray that you let us make you the relationship that's most important. When stress comes to our life, when financial worries, when problems come, I pray that we would not run to something that releases a chemical that makes us feel better in our body, but we actually run to you because you're the only thing safe to be addicted to. It's, it's you, Jesus. You want to be at the head of our life, at the center, at the source of our life. And God, I'm praying that somebody that knows that would reach to you today, that somebody that knows that would find the ability to say, I want more of you, Jesus, because I cannot do this without you. I, I need the knowledge and I need the wisdom and I, and I need to give my heart. God wants our hearts today. And God, I pray that we would take out all the things that stand in the way. And we would realize that the low moments were not a time when God abandoned us. But it was a time when God was teaching us the strength of the struggle. So that we could have high moments. And the high moments would be greater because we knew the low moments the celebration of someone getting the Holy Ghost in an altar at a church is just as is so beautiful because we know what it's like to want someone to get the Holy Ghost and have several services where people didn't. The, the moments where worship is at a high and at a, at a beautiful level is those moments when we realize that it's so much greater than those moments when the instrument didn't work or something got wrong. But there's always that up and down and that up and down really is the beauty of life. Would you help somebody to understand that today? Would you help somebody to commit themselves to the good and the bad, that there's only one that can work all things together for good? You take the bad and the good, God, if we give you our whole heart. And I pray that somebody prays that prayer. Would you pray with me right now? Just repeat after me. God, I give you my whole heart. I give you every bit of me take all my ups and take all my downs and work all things for good. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name.